I'll be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they had said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of God. Well, it is a privilege to be here this first Sunday in uh, the new year. I'm glad that you have joined us for worship. This morning we encounter in God's Word uh, the story of the early church. This is the, uh, the, the book of Acts, which is a history, really, of the early church, and we encounter this very real story this morning. And what I love about the book of Acts is it doesn't sugarcoat things. It, it gives the real deal. Uh, you see the good and the bad and the ugly, and it's all kind of woven in together. And certainly, church is that. Church is uh, fraught with problems at times, is uh, sometimes difficult to figure some things out. And we, um, we uh, don't like to admit that, but it's true. And so here in the book of Acts, uh, the disciples are growing in significant number. Uh, the background of this is that the church uh, had started just a few days, a uh, few weeks earlier uh, in the upper room. It was the most unlikely guy who would stand up and preach that first sermon. His name was Peter, and Peter was the guy who stood by when Jesus was being tried and said he didn't know him. Peter was the guy who denied Christ, who, who blatantly said, uh -uh, uh, Jesus, uh, uh, I have no relationship with him. And God, in his grace, used Peter to preach this first sermon. Thousands of people came to Christ. Now, we must be reminded that for us to come to Christ in the Bible Belt is one thing. Uh, people applaud it. Uh, they're pretty excited about it. it. It's a celebrated thing. To come to Christ in Jerusalem meant to say no to Judaism, to say no to your heritage, to your faith that you had held for quite a long time. And so here it is. Um, these people have come to Christ, and uh, they brought some baggage with them. And people do that today. They come to faith in Christ, and they don't check their luggage at the door. They bring baggage with them, and these people are no different. They brought baggage with them, and we discover their baggage when we talk about the, um, the Hebrews and the Hellenists. 
the Hebrews and the Hellenists, who are they and how do they factor in to what we are uh, trying to make sense of here? Well, the, the baggage is quite historical. It's about 600 years old. In 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar came storming into Jerusalem, and when he did, he took with him the best and the brightest people out. Some of your favorite stories in Scripture are from uh, these people. Their names uh, are Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, uh, Ezra, Nehemiah were among the exiles. These are really uh, people that we hold up as heroes of the great faith. Uh, uh, They were exiles. Nebuchadnezzar took them out and then His kingdom fell to the Persians, and when it did, Darius allowed them to return. So many of them returned, and as they did, they returned to rebuild the temple. They returned to restore worship. They returned to rebuild the wall. Uh, But not all of them did, and those who stayed back uh, eventually came under significant Greek influence. They learned the Greek language uh, as opposed to Hebrew, they knew Hebrew, but they learned the Greek language. They read the Old Testament, not in Hebrew, but in Greek. Uh, during Jesus' day, there were synagogues built just for the Hellenist. And so the Hellenist worshipped in the Greek language in their synagogues, and the other Hebrews worshipped in the uh, Hebrew language in their synagogues. Paul, would, uh, Paul was a Hellenist by clear definition, and Paul would say repeatedly he would defend his own Jewish ethnicity, his own Hebrew legacy, if you will. You would hear that from Paul again and again. The Pharisees looked at the Hellenists as second-class Jews. They were second-class Hebrews. The Pharisees looked down on them And so this is prejudice at its worst. Prejudice has no place in anywhere. It has no place in the church. It had no place in the early church, and it crept in early. In addition to the problem of the Hellenists and the Hebrews, you you multiply that by... um, by the problem of hungry widows. You see, the Jews had a system to take care of widows. It was not common among the Greeks, nor was it common among the Romans. It was common uh, among the Jewish people. God instituted it in the Old Testament, and they had the system to take care of widows, and this system was, uh, was, was working well. But what if you were a widow who was also a Hellenist who came to Christ. You lost your family. You lost your support system through this, uh, this Greek-speaking synagogue, uh, and you were hungry, but you carried with you into the faith uh, bias and prejudice from everybody around you. And so... The Christians early organized feeding widows, and when a Hellenistic widow would step up, something happened. They were overlooked, ignored, rejected. And this was the early church that Jesus died for. 
Uh, we're not far in and problems have arisen. Uh, we should not be surprised when we bring our own baggage into uh, our walks with God, should we? We shouldn't be surprised when we look around and, and see people at church that we think we would never see in the doors of a church. We say, praise God, they're here. Um, and, and so evidently the Jewish new followers of Christ would look down the row and see the Hellenistic widows and, and, and the Hellenist uh, uh, men and women and go, what are they doing here? Uh, it was new for them that Christ died for the Jew and the Greek alike. Paul would say in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God's salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew and also to the Greek. Right? And so uh, this prejudice crept into the early church. But from this situation, I love the honesty of Scripture. From this situation, we discover three um, commitments of the early church that are necessary commitments of a church today. Uh, the first commitment is a commitment to minister spiritually and physically. It is a commitment to minister spiritually and physically. Uh, notice uh, what the apostles say in response to what is going on. Uh, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, uh, a complaint arose. In verse 2, and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples. We have no idea how many people this is. Uh, they summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Notice what they didn't say. They didn't say, It isn't right that we should serve tables. They said, It isn't right that we should give up the preaching of the word in order to serve tables. So they're saying the preaching of the word is important. And, and today we have the New Testament. They only had the old at, at that point. They were preaching Christ, as Jesus did himself, uh, from the Old Testament. But, but they said we shouldn't give up preaching of the word and we shouldn't give up serving tables. We are to meet both spiritual needs and physical needs of people. Not one to the exclusion of of the other. That's critically important. Uh, here at Grace, we have a, a list of 10 values. You can find them on our website. Uh, we call them our top 10. And number one is Bible-centered preaching and teaching. That's our number one value here at Grace. We recruit staff based on that Bible-centered teaching and preaching. It's absolutely critical to... Uh, to the pulpit here that all of our staff who preach here start and end with God's word. His word is authoritative. His word is infallible. His word is the trustworthy source to which we go and from which we draw wisdom to live life. And so we begin there. Uh, we see the incredible importance of the word of God in and I have the privilege with our staff and with another group of about 10 or 12 men to mentor them in the area of preaching. I love that. 
As most of you know, one of our staff guys just right now is preaching right down the road at PG Baptist, a trial sermon to serve as their pastor. Josh is doing that. And Josh is preaching the word. He has become a good preacher of the word. Preaching the word of God is absolutely critical to who we are as a church. But it isn't all we do. And it wasn't all the early church intended to do. They, they, they said, it isn't right. We should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. About four years ago, I finished my, uh, my doctorate in preaching. It radically changed how I preach. I, I learned so much. I grew so much. It was absolutely tremendous. It's why our staff goes and gets their MDivs and, and works on advanced degrees so we can rightly handle the Word of God. But there are also tables to be served. Uh, what does that look like? Well, Bill Rockliffe is sitting here. Bill heads our food pantry ministry. And, and this year, this past year alone, we gave out 25,000 pounds of food. Uh, this summer, I think for the seventh summer in a row, we, we partnered with other churches, 30, uh, almost 30 churches from around the county to feed hungry people. It would be unthinkable that any kid would go hungry in the shadow of 160 steeples in this county. Amen? Unthinkable unbelievable that that would be the case. The early church ministered not only to the spiritual needs and preaching, but to the physical needs. These widows got hungry. I was standing in Walmart uh, recently, which uh, I shared with the early services, a sacrifice of praise for me to go to Walmart uh, it's either for my family or for the Lord. Uh, and we were doing some Christmas shopping for our Christmas project. Uh, and I decided to order things online. So I'd ordered stuff online and for some crazy, absurd reason, thought I would just walk in and pick them up. And so I go in and I'm standing in this long line and a woman is working and that's not her spot. It's clear it isn't her spot. She's trying to figure out this whole order something online and, and pick it up and where do I go pick the order? As a matter of fact, I, I ended up going back in her warehouse and picking my own order. But I, I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and for 45 minutes, no lie, waited in this line and I get up there and she says, uh, once my information, I give it and my big list pops up. <laughs> she looked at it and looked at me like, <laughs> thanks. And, uh, and so she said, what is this? I said, this is from Grace Community Church. And uh, she said, what is this for? I said, well, we do a Christmas project and Families get to come in and shop for their kids, and that's what this stuff is for. And this woman behind me popped up, and she leaned kind of around me, and she said, oh, I love that church. I love that church. She said, we were in a real bind, and that church came through for us and helped us out. You all have the best church in the world. And then she looked at me, and she said, my husband has a job, and I have a job now. We don't need your help this year, but thanks so much when we did. 
That's the incredible importance of meeting people's needs, right? The gospel is lived out. Not just spoken, but acted. Not just communicated by words, but communicated in deed. By actions. Not just to people on the inside, but also to people on the outside. A commitment to minister spiritually and physically, extremely important. Uh, We started counting in 2008, and since 2008, we have helped uh, more than 600 families pay a a power bill, uh, the rent, to get through a tough time in their lives. The gospel, verbally the gospel, with our, with our wallets. It's incredibly important. You say, Jerry, what is this gospel that we communicate? Here it is. Uh, Paul succinctly stated it in one of his Corinthian letters that Jesus died was buried and was resurrected on the third day. Romans 10 says that that all who call on his name will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see it on the screen. Everyone who believes that Jesus died and was buried and rose and trusts him as Savior and Lord will be saved. But here is a gripping set of questions. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him on whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach. Today at 4 o'clock, I'll lead a meeting for folks who are interested in going to Senegal, Africa. Senegal is the westernmost country of Africa. We have the possibility of partnering with them in order to plant a church. Our church would plant a church in the bush in Africa. We would work, if we do this, we're in for five years. We'll be going year after year for five years. Now, sometimes we'll send a medical team into that village and meet very real needs. Uh, Some of you may go because you're good at agriculture or you're good at business, and and you could go help them set up uh, uh, some things using their resources there to do business and make themselves sustainable. But we do it all because that village where we're going has never heard the gospel. Never heard the gospel. And there's the potential to go and preach to those who've never heard. And it combines physical and spiritual, doesn't it? Secondly, there is a commitment to flexibility. You may be surprised by that, but flexibility is absolutely essential. I want to share with you uh, a little kind of graph on the screen that will lay this out for us. I I ran across it this week. It's very helpful. Goals plus flexibility equals a leader. 
All right, so if you have goals and you have some flexibility, you can lead. Goals minus flexibility equals a manager. You say, how does that work? Here's how managers work, all right? Let's say with our food pantry, our hours end at 2. Somebody comes in at 2.02. Here's how managers work. Well, we closed two minutes ago. Oh, but our families, uh, no, no, we closed two minutes ago. The, the food pantry clearly says, the sign says, from here to here, this is when we open, this is when we close. That's called management. Leadership looks beyond the, the rules, if you will, and bends them. And some of you who are real, rule keepers are going, <gasps> we can't be breaking any rules. I've never known a good leader who hasn't. Good leaders do it all the time. I'm not talking about moral rules. I'm talking about the status quo rules. Uh, Goals plus flexibility equals a leader. Goals minus flexibility equals a manager. Flexibility minus goals equal followers. And there are many of those, and that's good. And no flexibility and no goals equals loneliness. If you aren't flexible and you're aiming for anything, you will find yourself all alone. Churches are dying at a higher rate in our country than ever in the history of this country. Every day, a church closes its doors. Every day. They discover they can no longer pay the bills. They can no longer keep things going. Somewhere, at some point, there was an option to be flexible. And they opted out. Somewhere, there was an option to to flexibly reach the community in which they are located. And they decided that they would preserve pristine carpet rather than have snotty-nosed kids running up and down the aisles, right? Uh, They decided that um, you probably shouldn't uh, uh, read out of that version of the Bible or perhaps you shouldn't play that kind of instrument on the stage. There were a list of things that they held tightly to. And when it is all said and done, they still have the list and they have those things, but there's nobody left. There must be a commitment to flexibility, meaning flexibility, are you ready? It's plan A, not plan B. This is why we're moving four-year-olds next door so that we can fit children safely and rightly in these rooms. This is why we don't have, our staff doesn't have offices anymore. Uh, they, they set up tables in the nursery now in that back corner room because it has a dishwasher, a fridge, and now their coffee maker they call the pastor's lounge. And so they make coffee back there and two are in that room and two are in that room. And Uh, I get to keep my office, inherited some really comfortable furniture from these guys. But this morning came in, and that's why I swing my desk around, because there's a Bible study group meeting in my office, because we're out of room at 8.30 for Bible study groups. There must be 
flexibility? There must be. If it doesn't exist, we're in trouble. The apostles easily could have said, well, you know, just keep doing it the way you're doing it. Let them adapt. They easily could have said that. No, they they said, let's call everybody together and let's solve this problem. A commitment to flexibility, and finally, uh, there must be a commitment to shared leadership. Notice what happens. And the 12th, some of the full number, and they said, therefore, brothers, verse 3, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom. Full of the Spirit means that they walk with God, and full of the wisdom means they're able to make good decisions. Uh, Full of the Spirit, they walk with God. Full of wisdom, they're able to make godly decisions uh, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Physical needs are going to be met. Spiritual needs are going to be met. Deacons will focus on physical needs, and uh, we will focus on the spiritual and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and then we have a list of guys they chose. Let's talk about this for a moment. How are they chosen? The, the disciples chose them. Here at Grace, we practice congregational leadership. What does that mean? It means that our congregation votes on key matters. Our congregation votes on building a new building, buying land, changes in our bylaws, calling staff and deacons, and our budget. And that's it. Uh, we don't vote on anything else here. All right. And, uh, you know, there are the notorious jokes about the color of the carpet. So we solve that with concrete. And we don't have that problem. Uh, but we don't vote on those things here. We vote on the big things. So how were these men, how did they arrive to be here before you today in just a moment? Here's how. You nominated them. And once they were nominated, uh, our current chairman of deacons, Chris Allison, contacted them to ascertain their willingness to serve. And their sense of call, would they be willing to do this? They said yes. Once he did that, once they said yes, the two who have never been ordained before completed a questionnaire, and they sat down with our current group of deacons and went over that and talked about their walks with God and where they stand and the vision of this church and do they agree and do they support it and do they uh, concur with what we feel God is doing here and the direction we feel God is leading this church. And then we brought them back to you and you voted yes or no on them individually. You chose them. Today we appoint them. We think that's really close to the way the New Testament works. Now, I'll share something with you that is done differently here. We don't have elders at Grace, and some of you are unfamiliar with that. Our bylaws team is working on changing our leadership to uh, still congregational leadership with elder oversight. You say, Jerry, what does that mean? I'll share with you that something that Wendy could resonate with, but about six or seven, maybe eight years ago, uh, this really became too much for me. So much so that I became depressed, and I was for about three and a half months, maybe four, like really depressed. 
It was all I could do to get up morning after morning after morning. And uh, I would just wake up in the morning and before I would get up, just reach over and touch Wendy and that would honestly give me the strength to get out of bed and to go through the day. When I came out of that, I went to the deacons and I said, I know you are deacons, not elders. And in scripture, elders is always plural. And up until that time, I was it here. And I couldn't carry that load. And I said to them, I've got to be able to bring into this room heavy things that weigh me down. Burdens that I carry for this congregation. Say, Jerry, what do those look like? I'll give you a tiny little bit of insight into what I carried in this morning. Two or three days ago, John Kingsley, who's sitting in the back corner, texts me about somebody in the church. And when it did, he did. He was concerned about him. I decided to text that young man, and I did. Yesterday afternoon, he texts me back. I simply said, how are you doing? He texts back, I'm not doing well. My life is a wreck. I said, what's going on? A little bit later, I get another text, and it said this. I'm strung out on dope. I'm most likely headed for prison. My life is out of control. And I don't know what to do. Some of you may struggle with this, but I've seen this guy walk with the Lord. I've watched him love Jesus. I've seen him worship. He is a member of this church. And that breaks my heart. I texted him back and I said, maybe we should sit down and talk and make some sense of all of this. And I'm waiting on his next text. Yesterday, off and on all day, I prayed, Lord, just, just a meeting. Give me a meeting with him. Give me face-to-face. I want face-to-face with him. I, I want to sit down. I want to open up Romans 7. And I want to talk about grace and power to overcome sin. Amen? My point is that there was a day when I carried that all by myself. And I can't do that. And so the deacons, since then, I I take everything to them. We have strategized together and we have rejoiced together and we have wept together. And so, our bylaws team will present something that looks like elders to you at some point, I think, this year. And, you know, you'll vote on that. However the vote goes, at this point, as you see what deacons do here, our deacons do a little more right now. Because we need them to do a little more. A lot more, actually, right now.
It's a commitment to shared leadership. I have discovered that the best decisions that I've made here, I really didn't make. (laughs) I get a lot of credit for a lot of stuff I had little to do with because they were made in a room full of uh, folks, staff and deacons, who gave fantastic input, and it all came together. It's critically important that leadership be shared. It builds great accountability. These men who will sit before you today feel a significant amount of accountability to this congregation. It's weighty. It's heavy. It isn't to be taken lightly. And so I want to ask them now to come and uh, with their spouses, and they'll be down here at the front. And as they do, we have verse 7 I'll deal with as they come. What happened in verse 7? The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of priests became obedient to the faith. I love that. The word of God continued to increase. When you solve a problem God's way, good things happen. When you solve a problem God's way, good things result from that. And that's what happened. The word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied. Hellenistic widows got to eat. And even the priest, there were about 18,000 historians say, priests who worked on an annual basis during this time in Jerusalem. They'd be in and out and a great number of those Jewish priests came to Christ. As we move forward as a church with so many opportunities to reach the world with the gospel, we will move forward with these three essential commitments. A commitment to minister physically and spiritually. A commitment to flexibility and a commitment to shared leadership They're critical. Men, I'll ask you to face me now with your wives. I'll ask you four questions. The first three you'll answer with I do. The fourth with I do God helping me. Do you believe that in the call of this congregation, God himself is calling you to this holy office? Do you believe that the Old and New Testaments are the word of God the only infallible rule of faith and life? Do you subscribe to the doctrinal statements of this church? Do you promise to do the work of your offices faithfully in a way worthy of your calling and in submission to the government and discipline of the church? Now I have a charge for you. Jeff, Mark, and Bruce. You have received of the Lord Jesus to serve his church as a deacon according to the word of the apostles that the pastors may give themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. You are called to work with the pastors to serve as heralds of Christ's kingdom. You are called to proclaim the gospel in word and deed to serve the community in which we live, bringing to the church the needs and hopes of all the people You are to work with your fellow members in searching out the poor and weak, the sick and lonely, and those who are oppressed and powerless, reaching into the forgotten corners of the world that the love of God may be made visible. As a deacon, you are to share in the ministry of the church and in leading God's people. You are to bring the needs of the world before the church in intercession. 
You are to labor to lead the lost to faith and bring them to baptism. You are called to assist in administering communion and to minister to the sick and to the homebound. You are to realize that benevolence is a quality of our life in Christ and not merely a matter of financial assistance. Therefore, Minister to rich and poor alike, both within and outside the church. Weigh the needs of causes and use the church's resources discerningly. Be compassionate to the needy. Respect their need for dignity. Hold and trust all sensitive matters confided to you. Encourage them with words that create hope in their hearts and with deeds that bring joy into their lives. You are to let your lives be above reproach. Live as examples of Christ Jesus. Look to the interests of others. Therefore, we charge you, I and this congregation, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, lead the people of God in true religion, which the apostle James says is to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Inspire faithful stewardship in this congregation. Remind us that from everyone who has been given, much will be demanded. Teach us to be merciful. Prompt us to seize new opportunities to worship God with offerings of wealth, time, and ability. Be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Be servant unto all. That in losing your life, you may indeed find it. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on to eternal life, whereunto you also are called. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. And now if you will turn and face the congregation. Congregation, this is a charge to you. And you will answer it by saying, we do God helping us. I charge you, people of God, to receive these deacons as Christ's gift to the church. Recognize in them the Lord's provision for healthy congregational life. Hold them in honor. Take their counsel seriously. Respond to them with respect. Accept their help with thanks. Sustain them in prayer and encourage them with your support, especially when they feel the burden of their office. Acknowledge them as the Lord's servants among you. Do you, congregation, pledge to receive them as you have been charged? We're going to give you a wonderful opportunity now as the congregation of grace to say a word of brief blessing for each of them. And so what I'll ask you to do, I should have done this in the early service, is to come down this aisle and go this way. And uh, that way we'll have one flow of traffic. This is an opportunity for you to especially bless Jeff and Mark and Bruce and Janet and Amber and Sarah as God will use them to serve his church here. Feel free to come and do that now.